Well, welcome to the All In Podcast. I'm uh, Pastor Tim Aiken, pastor at First Baptist Douglasville, and I am joined today on the podcast by a very special guest. I have my dad. Uh, I call him dad. You can call him Danny Aiken or Dr. Danny Aiken, whatever you'd like to call him. We are doing the podcast differently today and really will be doing it differently for the next several weeks. We're going to be talking about going all in with Jesus, his church, and his mission when it comes to theology. And so what we're going to do for the next several weeks is I have some Zoom calls set up with really experts and, and professionals in the area of theology as we walk through some very important doctrines. So the first one uh, today is going to be my dad. Before we jump in, I'm going to introduce him a little bit. I'll let him add anything uh, that he wants. My my dad is uh, was born and raised in Atlanta. Dad, I think, born at Grady Hospital. No, Crawford Long. Crawford Long Hospital. Okay. And uh, spent many years in the Ben Hill area. Then they moved to uh, Forest Park. And then when he uh, went to, when he was 19, he then left Atlanta and moved to Dallas, Texas uh, to begin pursuing uh, full-time ministry. He went to a college there called Crystal College, uh, came back one uh, December, asked my mom to marry him. They then got married uh, that May, I believe May of 1978. Yeah, May 27, 1978, and they they spent many years in in Texas, where he finished college, seminary, uh, a PhD. Uh, he and my mom have four boys. So I'm the youngest. I got three older brothers. Spent many years there in uh, Texas. Then we moved to North Carolina. Then we moved to Kentucky. Then they have now been back in North Carolina since 2004. And for many of those years, uh, he has been in higher education, so serving. Seminaries, Bible colleges, uh, right now serves as the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Uh, does a lot of Bible teaching at local churches, uh, travels to preach, and uh, has written many books. And just really an expert in this area, but also my hero. So, so thankful to have him on the, pa- the podcast today. Dad, any, anything you would add to that introduction? Well, I actually did spend a month in Grady Hospital when I was four. I had pneumonia. And uh, so they put me there for a month. I also had the measles. So I was contagious before contagious was cool. And uh, (laughs) only Grady would let me in because it was the county hospital. But we loved uh, living in uh, Georgia and um, have just the best, most fond memories. Uh, All of our uh, parents are buried there in uh, Georgia, as is my uh, grandparents over there uh, behind Victory Baptist Church in Douglasville, Georgia. That's right. So I did fail to mention that. So obviously my grandmother, my dad's mom, we affectionately called her Lulu. Emma Lou is her name. Uh, she was from Douglasville. So we have roots here. My grandfather, my dad's dad, uh, we affectionately called him Bubba. William Lowell was his name. He uh, was from Carrollton, so not far at all. And then obviously they moved to Atlanta when they got married and raised there raised their family there. So we have Georgia roots. I never grew up here or anything, but we spent many, many Christmases and summers here in the Georgia area. So definitely have roots uh, here. So all right, let's jump in. And so what we're doing this year as our church is we're talking about what does it look like to go all in with Jesus, with his church and his mission. And obviously, as you study the scriptures, one of the key things that you see over and over again is, is the idea of good doctrine, good theology, understanding what the scripture teaches, why it teaches that, how that impacts our lives. And so we're going to be talking for the next several weeks 
about theology and specifically the core doctrines of our church, really the core doctrines of what it means to be a Christian, specifically what it means to be a Southern Baptist and some core doctrines that we have here at First Baptist. And so before we jump into our doctrine today, which will be the Bible, we'll talk about that in detail in a moment, Dan, I want to begin with just a question about kind of theology in general. So why should Christians, Dad, strive to be good theologians? Why, in your mind, is theology for every Christian, not just for those that do this, you know, vocationally, but for every single Christian, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you work in the business world, whether you're a blue-collar worker, whether you're a child or an adult, why is it important for Christians to strive to be good theologians? Well, first of all, Tim, Jesus tells us in the great commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, uh, strength, and mind. And so God commands us to love him well with our mind. Uh, The Bible also tells us to study well of the Bible that we might prove ourselves to be workmen who are not ashamed. Uh, Jude tells us that we have to be equipped uh, to defend the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Uh, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15 to be ready always to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's within you. So though the Bible clearly commands us to love God well with our heart, we also are called by God to love him well with our mind. And I playfully say, I know you're not supposed to use the word, but uh, I playfully say we bring no glory to God by being stupid saints. And uh, there are too many stupid saints who cannot express, one, what they believe. And then, of course, if they can't explain what they believe, they can't explain why they believe. And so we want to be able to do both. Okay, very good. Now, I'm sure there's some listening and there's some in our churches that say, okay, I I get that. But, hey, uh, Danny, you don't understand. I I didn't get good grades in school. I'm really not that smart. I'm just kind of a simple kind of guy. I have a lot of faith in Jesus, but when it comes to understanding all this theology, that, that's just not really for me. What are some things that every Christian, whether they're a child, uh, whether they're they're a senior adult, uh, no matter their education background, no matter their IQ, what are some things that, that every Christian can do to strive to be a good theologian, to know the Bible well? Well, I think number one, Tim, they need to read the Bible. And they need to read the Bible over and over and over and saturate their minds with what God has said in his word. That would be the first thing. But then secondly, there are various levels in which one can be trained and equipped in terms of their theology. So I'm not saying, hey, start off by reading a book that's that (laughs) thick. Uh, When I first got uh, going in terms of growing theologically when I was 20 years old, Someone gave me a Rowry Study Bible. On the back of the Rowry Study Bible was a outline of uh, biblical doctrine, uh, from the doctrine of God all the way to last things, what we call eschatology. I actually taught that on a Wednesday night to the youth uh, of our church, and uh, together we grew in our knowledge of the basic doctrines of the Bible just using the outlines from that very good study Bible, I also found that teenagers loved theology hmm. and uh, they did not think this was too weighty or beyond their grasp. So you start there, then you could pick up a very small book. Charles Ryrie wrote a book called Basic Bible Doctrine that's really written on a, a lay level. 
And then as you uh, get more comfortable on that level, you can reach something more uh, challenging, uh, something that's a little more in depth. But it's just like, you know, learning to, to walk. Uh, you've got to crawl uh, before you can walk, uh, before you can run. So just start somewhere with something that's easy uh, and not uh, all of that complex. Because here's the deal. All followers of Jesus are theologians. Hmm. Now, you're either a good one or a bad one. And uh, being a good one doesn't necessarily mean you have a boatload of knowledge. What it does mean is that you handle well the Bible's basic teachings about itself, God, uh, sinful humanity, Christ, the Holy Spirit, salvation, uh, the church, and last things. You have at least a basic understanding of those doctrines. And I believe anyone that can read uh, can find a, a level that uh, is adequate, uh, but also honors the Lord. Okay. Yeah. Very, very helpful. So a couple of things I follow up there just real quick, you know, cause I'll, I'll say the reading piece and sometimes I'll have church members. They'll say, well, I, I don't like to read. Okay. Well, I think you should learn to read, but if you don't, there's really no excuses nowadays. There are podcasts, there's audio books. I mean, there's everything in the, there's the Bible uh, on audio. There's everything in the world now. So when you run, when you ride in your car, you can just listen to stuff over and over. So there's a number of resources out there that people can find. Uh, as well. Also, it may, what, what you said, I think is important. It does take work. And so it does take work. It does take, it does take time and you can work at your own pace. But, you know, for me, if we truly love Jesus and Jesus truly has our affections, then we're going to want to get to know him. Well, it's kind of like in your, in your relationships with your wife or with your children, those that you deeply love, you want to get to know them as fully as you can. And if Jesus has saved us and we should love him more than we love anything or anybody else, we're going to strive. I would, one of the things I would remind people is learning to read is really a great privilege. Hmm. Uh, so much of the world is illiterate. And so for God to have given us in uh, America, almost all of us, the privilege to learn how to read and then not to take advantage of that probably is sinning against the Lord. And so maybe a starting place is to thank God that he's given you the privilege to learn how to read. And therefore, I want to glorify what does the Bible say, whether you eat, drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Well, God's given me the gift of reading. I should glorify him with that gift, which means I read. And what I learned is this. Uh, I wasn't a great reader in high school. And when God called me the ministry, I was terrified because I had not read like I ought in high school. And so I can still remember getting on my knees in Dallas, Texas, when I was 20 years old, asking the Lord, help me learn to read and help me learn to study. And I believe God answered that prayer. Now, it was a slow, painful, difficult task. But what I learned is a little bit at a time uh, adds up to a lot. So don't think in terms of I've got to get way out here I just need to make a little progress every day, every week, every month. I'll be very surprised at where I find myself a year later. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes people think, okay, because you've, you've spent your life studying this, that means that you're just naturally really smart. And I know from my own personal experience, that that's just not the case. It takes a lot of work, but the more work I put in, God is, as you said, God is faithful to give me, to give me that, that, that knowledge. And so, uh, I, made eight, I made 870 the first time on the SAT 
and nine, 10 the second time, uh, that'll barely get you into a junior college. And well, so, last year before when I got on the ACT, my executive pastor asked me not to share it anymore because it, it, it it's embarrassing. But I got I got a 19 on the ACT out of 36 and an 18 the second time. So actually, I actually did We're about in the same ballpark. We're halfway to what we could have got. So there is hope. There's hope for anybody. And uh, and so just just take, take just, some. Just remember, the tortoise beat the hare. <laughs> the tortoise beat the hare. Amen. That's exactly right. A couple of resources real quick to mention at the beginning. We'll put these in what we call our show notes so you guys can see them. A lot of times there'll be links. One is a a book. I'll give a couple plugs for dad. One is a book that that he edited with uh, several other great, uh, brilliant thinkers and writers called A Theology for the Church. When they take the key doctrines, many of which we're going to cover the next several weeks, and they just unpack them from a church history perspective, from a theology perspective, a biblical perspective, and it helps you understand well uh, doctrine that's out there. Also, my dad has a website. It's called danielaken.com. Real real simple, real easy. We'll put a link there. You can click on that. All the resources on there are free. So he doesn't get any money. He gets no kickback from any of that. All of his sermons are on there. Uh, A lot of the notes that he's taught at marriage conferences or he's taught in seminary classes or things of that nature. He's got some basic theology manuscripts and outlines that are on there. And he's also got a great resource on there called Building a Theological Library. So if you're looking for resources or things that you can read as you're learning theology, uh, you can look at that resource. Uh, very helpful. Dad, anything, you, anything you'd add from your what you've done uh, to that stuff? Well, real quickly, I'd encourage y'all to put a link to the Baptist Faith and Message, which is the basic confession of Southern Baptists, and that will be easy to do, and people can go and see. all right, what do we as Baptists uh, confess? I'll sit to the seminaries and the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, require their faculties and their missionaries to sign off on this confession. Secondly, at the website, I did teach over a six-month period of time through the Baptist Faith and Message. So not only is the uh, content of the Baptist Faith and Message also there, the study outlines and the audios that I did going through the Baptist faith and message are there. So there's that at the website as well. Okay. Very good. We do uh, just so our listeners know on our church website. Uh, we do have a link to the Baptist faith and message. That is our confessional statement of faith that we hold to as a Southern Baptist church. Uh, and then just uh, also would encourage anybody that's a member of our church, anybody that's listening. If you go to our website, also we do summarize our doctrine beliefs, on the website and also then we use this last thing i'll I'll plug it's it's called a first connection booklet anybody that is interested in becoming a member of our church we walk them through that uh booklet and it addresses all of the key doctrines that we're going to be walking through on this podcast so just lots of resources lots of things that you can be reading and and looking at to make sure that you understand what we as christians specifically southern baptist and even more specifically at first baptist douglasville uh, the key doctrines that we that we hold to. All right, let's jump into the doctrine today, doctrine of the Bible. We're obviously not going to have enough time to unpack it in one sitting, and we're just going to take about the next 15 minutes to, to do it. So there's so much we could do. I'm going to run through that, just kind of some of the key pieces of it, let you answer it uh, as you desire, and, and, and we'll go from there. So let me begin kind of with a summary question. So if you were going to summarize throughout church history, what Christians have believed about the Bible. Okay, what would you, how would you summarize what has been the orthodox 
Christian view of the Word of God? Well, the simplest statement, Tim, is that the Bible is the Word of God written in the words of men. So it is both a completely and fully divine book, but is also a completely and fully human book. So it has a dual authorship of the divine uh, and the human. Throughout the history, going back, I believe, into the Old Testament and certainly the teachings of Jesus, Paul and Peter, the church has believed almost unanimously until the modern era, think the Enlightenment and the rise of anti-supernaturalism, that the Bible is completely true and trustworthy in every way. Today, uh, and indeed you find the concept in the church fathers, we talk about the Bible being infallible and inerrant, verbally and plenary inspired. And what we mean by that is inerrant, the Bible is completely true and without error. There are no errors or mistakes in the Bible. Uh, Infallible means the Bible will not lead one astray and into falsehood. Verbal doesn't mean verbs, it means the words. The very words themselves are exactly the words that God wanted in the Bible. And then the word plenary means fullness. So we're talking about both the parts and the whole. The Bible is inspired in its words, and the Bible is inspired in its totality. And the reason that we argue for that, there are many reasons, but I think the simplest is, this is the view of Jesus. This is the view of Paul. This is the view of Peter. And in particular, I would direct uh, those that are looking at this doctrine to Matthew 5, 17 and 18, where Jesus said, not a letter or part of a letter will pass away until all of it is fulfilled. He also said in John 10, 35, the scriptures cannot be broken. He said in John 17, 17, in his high priestly prayer to his father, your word is truth. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is God breathed, is inspired by God. And uh, Peter said in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, that the holy men uh, spoke uh, and wrote as they were picked up and carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that even liberal scholars who do not believe in supernaturalism and who do not believe the Bible is inspired acknowledge that Jesus believed the Bible to be completely true and trustworthy. Uh, The problem is Jesus was wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, I agree with them that Jesus believed the Bible was completely true and trustworthy. The difference is I believe he was right. Mm -hmm. And as I said to a liberal professor one time, If Jesus rose from the dead, then he's God. Hmm. And if he's God, that means he's right about everything, including what he believed about the Bible. Hmm. Yeah. A couple follow-up questions. So one, you made the point that really for much of church history, Christian history, really until you got, and you mentioned the the Enlightenment specifically, that this was the view of the church. And so can yes. you talk a little bit? So talk a little bit more about the fact that this has, for most of church history, this has been the majority view. But then but but the the area in which we live now, the culture in which we live now, really is more of a minority view when you think of the breadth of church history. So talk talk a little more, a little more about that and maybe talk to some of the dangers that we need to be mindful of as Christians when it comes to 
even people that call themselves evangelical Christians, when it comes to them questioning the truthfulness of the of the scriptures? Well, first of all, uh, your word majority is fine, but it was almost unanimous. In okay. other words, you are hard pressed to find a Christian from the first century until the 1800s who questioned the complete truthfulness of the Bible. They may have used different words, but they all affirmed his complete truthfulness and that there was no taint of error or mistake in the autograph that which was written originally by the prophets and the apostles. And by the way, real quickly, we don't have the autographs today, but through thousands and thousands and thousands of Hebrew and Greek manuscripts, no one questions that the Bible that I hold in my hand right here is virtually that of the autographs. What they would say is, yeah, it basically is a reflection of the autographs. It just has mistakes in it, like the uh, autographs had mistakes uh, so, in it. So even, so on that, so even a liberal scholar, even a scholar doesn't believe that the Bible is inerrant, without error, okay, without mistake. They're going to affirm what you and I affirm that, yes, the, the, the most early dated copies of the Bible, so it means not manuscripts, right? Most early copies of the scriptures that we have in our hands are almost identical to what we now have today. Yes. Even a liberal is going to admit that. Absolutely. Say, a, a, a faithful, honest textual critic will affirm that without any hesitation. They just simply believe, yeah, we have the autograph virtually, but the autographs were full of errors because these are human documents written by human beings and uh, humans make mistakes. Yeah. Okay. And, All right, and, no, so jump to your question about today. You're right. Uh, those who believe in an infallible and inerrant Bible are in a shrinking uh, minority. And uh, we've seen great damage uh, come to the church as a result of that. When a church no longer believes the Bible to be the completely true, trustworthy, infallible, inerrant word of God, they lose their passion for missions. They lose their heart for evangelism, doctrine no longer becomes a priority uh, in their fellowships. And you look at mainline denominations today, like the Episcopalians, the Lutherans, the Presbyterians, uh, Church of Christ, Christian Church, and once great Bible-believing, faithful, missionary-minded denominations, they're all dying. And they're not doing missions uh, at all, or if they are, it's very, very small. Secondly, Ultimately, when I was in seminary, Tim, I had a professor named Russ Bush who taught here at Southeastern for many years. He's in heaven now. And when I had him at the very beginning of the semester, he made a statement at the time I did not understand it. I understand it now. He said the uh, doctrine of inspiration is ultimately a doctrine of Christology. And what he said was what you believe about Jesus will determine what you believe about everything, including the Bible. Mm. And so when one begins to doubt the complete veracity, truthfulness, uh, inerrancy of the Bible, in essence, they're doing two things. Number one, they're saying, well, when it comes to the Bible, Jesus was wrong. Mm. And number two, they're saying, well, when it comes to the Bible, I understand the issue actually better than Jesus. <laughs> and both of those are, I think, very dangerous at best and probably heretical, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, OK, so on that I, on that on that point. 
uh, obviously all of these doctrines are important. Okay, the doctrine of the Bible, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Jesus. Okay, but but uh, it's hard to say the doctrine of the Bible is more important than the doctrine of Jesus. But I think what you're saying is what, right, okay, so what we believe about Jesus, right, for us is determined by what the Bible says. And so when you begin to water down the truthfulness and the authority of the scriptures, it becomes a very slippery slope and a dangerous and gradual decline into what we call liberalism or to into a, a misunderstanding of true biblical uh, doctrine. And that, that talk a little bit about how essentially in every generation, even in the generation we live in now, that we as Christians have to understand that there's always going to be an attack on the Bible. So kind of talk a little bit about that and how we as Christians need to combat that and how we need to respond when we see that that happening. Well, first of all, we need to expect it. Uh, since the rise of the Enlightenment, uh, coming out of the Renaissance, uh, and what is known as the Age of Reason, you've had attacks against the Bible take different forms and come at different times. Now, it used to be that attacks on the Bible came along about every 50 to 60 years. But now with technology, uh, with social media, with the explosion of avenues that communicate knowledge to us, the uh, issue of the what I can call the battle for the Bible now takes place about every 30 or 40 years. So, for example, uh, Southern Baptists went through a battle for the Bible in the 1920s. And that's when they set forth the Baptist faith and message in 1925 to counteract primarily the doctrine of evolution and its attack on the Bible, Darwinianism. Then it came along again in 1960 because the seminaries got infected with what is known as the critical method that came out of Germany and Europe, again, grounded and rooted in anti-supernaturalism. And so we came out with a revision of the Baptist faith and message in 1963. But then uh, we didn't really resolve it. So Baptist entered into a pretty bloody battle in 1979 with what is known as the conservative resurgence that kind of reached its apex in the year 2000 when we set forth the most recent revision of the Baptist faith and message, again, clarifying and strengthening our view of the Bible's inspiration. Well, I would have thought, well, we won't have a fight over this again until probably 2030 or 2040. No, even now in the year 2021, you've got evangelical people who say they have, well, what they'll say is this, Tim. Well, I have a high view of the Bible. I just don't like to use the word inerrancy. Right. Well, anytime I hear somebody say that, warning bells go off in my mind because I know they're pulling back and they're retreating from a complete and total affirmation of the Bible's complete truthfulness and inerrancy. And so what I've discovered now is every generation is going to need to expect and be equipped to defend their understanding of the nature of the Bible. And again, ultimately, it goes back to Jesus and what you believe about him because he believed it was completely true and trustworthy, infallible and inerrant. And to deny the inerrancy of the Bible is again to say Jesus got it wrong when it comes to the Bible. And if you think Jesus was wrong about that, well, then Jesus may have been wrong about a lot of things. And now you've got 
for lack of a better term, a Christological mess. Right. Okay. So speak for a minute about um, when people begin to question that about the scriptures, what are some of the practical doctrinal matters that they begin to follow? So as they begin to say, hey, the, the, the scriptures are not fully authoritative and they're not inerrant. What are, how does that impact? What dominoes does that begin to, to lay down for other doctrines? How does that impact other Christian beliefs that we should have? Well, very quickly going uh, chronolog chronologically in the Bible, they'll begin to deny the doctrine of creation and become open to the doctrine and teachings of evolution. Uh, they'll begin to question whether or not the flood really happened or not, whether the exodus really happened or not, whether Moses really wrote the first five books of the Bible, whether the miracles that we read in the Old Testament really happened, whether the named authors of books of the Bible really wrote those books. So, for example, in its most radical expression, you'll find people that say uh, Peter did not write Second Peter, Paul did not write the pastorals, or for that matter, probably Ephesians and Colossians, even the Gospels. Uh, were not written by the named writers that the church affirmed unanimously in its early history. But here's the worst part of it. There was a movement several years ago known as the Jesus Seminar. Thankfully, it's kind of gone the way of the dodo bird, but it still has some residual effect today so that you have people that will say, well, Jesus basically said nothing that's attributed to him in the Gospel of John. And he said probably less than 50 percent of what is attributed to him in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are early church creations that they put in the mouth of Jesus that don't reflect what Jesus thought, but reflects what they thought. Well, now at this point, Tim, you don't know what Jesus said and what he didn't say. Of course, no surprise here, those same scholars will deny the virgin birth, all the miracles that Jesus allegedly accomplished, including, of course, most importantly, his bodily resurrection. And once you jettison the bodily resurrection, you might as well go ahead and put Christianity in a coffin, nail it shut and bury it because it's dead. Yeah. Yeah. So this so obviously this impacts things too, like our morality and our ethics, our view of sin. Yes. When you walk down that road, yeah. I'm not surprised where we are in the gender discussion today. <laughs> uh, I'm not surprised where we are in terms of a whole lot of questions morally and ethically because those things will quickly go as well because they're not in touch with the current um, uh, trends and the current uh, spirit of our uh, 21st century Western age. Right, right, right. Okay, so there's so much more we could say. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring this one to a, a conclusion with one final question. Obviously a lot that we could say about the doctrine of the Bible. We'll do more of this. We'll be preaching through these, these, these topics on Sunday mornings as well. But final, final question then with all that we've said, Okay, what does it look like then for a Christian to view the Bible as their first, foremost, and final authority for all of faith and all of life? What does that look like? What does that mean? Well, it means the Christian recognizes that we do learn from reason. We do learn from experience, and we do learn from tradition. But when everything is said and done, the question that I'm going to ask about any and every issue is, what does the Bible say about, and you fill in the blank, and my source for where I'm going to ultimately get my information and my source for ultimately how I'm going to think and act is the word of God, the Bible. 
And so it's very, very, very relevant and very, very practical to how a Christian lives day in and day out. George Barna, he's not a great theologian, but he's a great sociologist. And he said it perfectly. Most Christians don't act like Jesus because most Christians don't think like Jesus. Well, the only way you're going to think like Jesus is to know what Jesus said. And the only way you're going to know that is in this infallible and inerrant book that tells us truthfully and accurately both what he did and also what he said. Amen. Very good. So obviously for me, the, the big the big takeaway here is that uh, as we follow Jesus, as we serve him, as we try to go all in with him, his church, his mission, obviously the Bible is a very big deal. We have to start there. We have to really end there with the scriptures. And if you want to grow as a believer, there's really no way around it. You have to be a student of the word, student of the of, of the scriptures. And the church is here to help you do that. And there's so many sources, uh, resources that are out there to help you. So uh, that's going to that's gonna wrap up today's uh, podcast. But on the next podcast, we're going to talk about the doctrine of God as we continue to think through going all in with Jesus when it comes to our theology. So, Dad, thank you so much for the podcast today. We look forward to our discussion on the doctrine of God.